financial discretion advised. Uh, have a, a guest host on today with us, Sam Chaplin. He's uh, it's not the first time he's made it uh, on the podcast. Hey, Sam, uh, glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm going to tackle some uh, some topics that I think are going to be important for 2022. Uh, alternative assets. I brought this up in other podcasts, but really, what are they, and how can they benefit us in our portfolios? Uh, want to have a conversation with Sam about just U.S. mega caps. We're hitting something unique in the market we've never seen uh, and some companies that are larger than than entire stock markets of entire countries uh, and just what impact that can have for our investments and then some financial planning strategies at the end. But Sam, before we kind of get started, you know, I, you're the portfolio manager for Penobscot Financial Advisors. You live in this uh, in the investment world day to day. I don't think we've ever asked you, how'd you how'd you get to this point? You know, what kind of what's your background? Sure. Um, you know, I, I took a big jump. I was a Sugarloaf snowmaker there for a while. So that's where it all began. Uh, and then I decided I wanted to get into banking somehow. I'm not sure how that happened, but uh, I was a teller at a bank for a while and came over here just down the street, did some hedge fund work, uh, mostly on the accounting administrative side down the road. Um, and then I was lucky enough to get in over here at Penobscot, uh, originally to help out on the administrative side, kind of get the performance reporting up to speed and stuff like that. Uh, have since hired some help in that area and moving towards the management side. Uh, yeah. So that is about long and the short of it. Awesome. Yeah, we love we love having Sam on board, mostly because he can tackle things that are, are much more complex than I can. So we, uh, <laughs> we have no problem putting the weight on his shoulders. Um, but today, Sam, I want to talk to you about alternative assets. Um, for folks that are out there, you know, they've been investing their entire life. It's stocks and bonds. How do we balance that? How much do we put in stocks? How much do we put in bonds? But that's not all there is to be investing in these days, is right? There's there's this whole new sleeve. Uh, so you know, I, I was wondering if you could kind of let us know what are alternative assets. Sure. Yeah. Great question. Definitely something's getting a lot of buzz lately, and we'll talk about why that is in a few moments. But uh, I think what can get confusing about alternative assets is people just you know they understand they understand stocks and bonds. Alternative assets kind of sounds just like one more version of that, but it's kind of a catch-all category for anything that's not a publicly traded uh, stock or bond. Um, some examples would be real asset investments like commodities and real estate. Um, when you're thinking about commodities, generally comes down to like energy investments and things like oil and natural gas, agricultural investments, you know, corn, wheat, coffee type of stuff. Um, and then uh, also precious metals as well, gold, silver, yeah. and such. Uh, these, yeah. Just kind of these real assets, right? They're, they're tangible. There's something out there behind it. Um, exactly. Yeah. You know, just a, a valuation on a company kind of thing. Yeah, and I would put private real estate in the uh, example of real, real assets as well. I think the difference uh, could distinguish there is that uh, when you're buying, investing in public real estate, um, it'd be like investing in a company and you're buying equity of that company that does real estate as their operations. With private real estate, you're investing in a fund that is you know, directly building uh, you know, offices, residential places, stuff like that. So a little bit of a different scheme there. Um, so those are kind of the real asset categories, yeah. Yeah, interesting. So, I mean, sometimes that can be looked at almost as an equity, right? If you're purchasing a company that's handling those things rather than the actual asset or, or someone who owns the asset. Yeah, generally, if you're buying like a real estate ETF or something like that, you're actually just investing in companies that do real estate, not investing directly in real estate itself. Um, there's those act kind of differently. Um, 
what else, private equity and private debt. So investing in companies before they go public and get listed on exchanges um, is something that's becoming more popular and more accessible. Talk about that as well. Um, and then finally, hedge funds and liquid alternative funds. Um, people probably have heard of what more aggressive trading active management schemes. Liquid alternatives can have to do with uh, market neutral strategies like uh, arbitration and, and that type of stuff, which gets a little complicated, but uh, is a way to invest in not necessarily going in the same direction as the market all the time. Yeah. So it really is that kind of catch all. It's not just gold and silver. It's not just, you know, buying a REIT. Uh, there is a broad uh, swath of things that you can be investing in here. Why is that important? Why do we need to start to work this into the portfolios? Yeah. Um, so to distinguish a little bit between different categories and I guess not treat them as monolith, I think, especially on the real asset side, things like commodities and private real estate, there's a really good inflation hedge going on there. I think the best way I've heard it said is the price of things is going up, invest in things and uh, commodities and real estate are things, you know, if the price of, you know, corn is going up at the store, then you can actually invest in corn and, and make money on the price of corn going up. Um, so that's, that's one point there. I think that's a big point for those real assets, but in general for alternative assets, I think what people are doing is they're searching for uncorrelated return. Um, you know, in the past, it used to be, you could rely on fixed income, providing a little cushion in your portfolio. If equities are going down, money would flow out of equities those prices would go down, money would flow into fixed income, those prices would go up. Um, so that's how you achieve some diversification there. However, where interest rates are so low right now, that's not really the dynamic we're seeing in the markets. Um, you know, first off, the interest rates are low and inflation is high. You might be making three, you know, 3% would be a good return on a fixed income product right now. However, when inflation's at 6%, your purchasing power just lost 3% of its money. So it's not necessarily a good alternative to equities. Um, you know, hear people talking about there is no alternative to equities right now, but these alternative assets are actually exactly what they say. Um, yeah, they're so doing well. It's, yeah, so there's some strong diversification benefits there as a bit of a fixed income replacement generally um, yeah. and increasing that diversification. So if these things tend to thrive or bonds tend to, to do poorly in environments where your interest rates are low and inflation is high, these can kind of do well in high inflationary times. Sounds like 2021 to me. Uh, obviously, they probably had a big year. I know when I'm reviewing with clients, I'm looking kind of at asset classes. There's a theme that sticks out. Your stocks probably did all right, pretty well. Uh, bonds did pretty poorly. And then your alternative assets sleeve uh, actually did quite well. Some, sometimes out, outpaced equities uh, over the last, uh, last year. Seems like we're stepping into 2022 and we could be setting up for something similar. Um, do you think this is kind of a year where it looks a lot like 2021, where these asset classes or the alternative assets have room to, to kind of be important uh, in your portfolio? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think these alternative assets have historically been under-owned because people were really relying on that 60-40. It's kind of been the traditional thing to do for quite some time. People might be rethinking that now and thinking maybe we do 60% equity, 30% fixed income, and 10% in alts, alternatives, or something like that. Um, so there's a bunch of flows coming into this area. They are becoming more accessible as well. We call it the democratization of alternative assets, where for a long time, things like private real estate, private equity, private debt, were really only for super wealthy investors who could afford large purchase minimums, um, and often used to have to be a qualified investor as well, which has certain qualifications as far as having a certain net worth and income and whatnot. And a lot of those things have been done away with. So it's becoming a lot more accessible um, for individual investors. Uh, and then there's a lot of, you know, supply and demand imbalances uh, kind of ties into the inflation 
aspect we were just talking about where um, these supply and demand imbalances kind of started from the stop start nature of the pandemic, but are likely to persist and have some longer term trends there. Um, you know, on the real estate side, I published a chart recently on our LinkedIn that uh, talked about the lack of uh, new real estate in the country in the US since the financial crisis and how we now have, you know, the older generations living to be older and then the younger generations coming in and now we're all bidding against each other on pretty much the same supply of houses. Um, yep. So on the real estate side, see a lot of uh, room for that to continue. Um, com commodities as well uh, have really been on a great run recently. A lot of that, again, has to do with the start of startup nature and the fact that ramping up new commodity production is a long process. Um, so something like, you know, we're really short on uh, green metals, they call them, types of metals and you know, natural resources we need to make the energy transition um, from traditional energy to clean energy. Yeah. Uh, getting those out of the ground, you know, if you want to start a new copper mine, copper something we're going to need a ton of, it takes five years, like at a minimum, to uh, oh. get a mine approved, get it built and start producing. Um, yeah. So there's going to be some interesting dynamics going on in there. And the, and the paradox there too is that uh, a lot of the reasons it takes so long is because the environmental regulations um, that uh, go along with tearing up the ground and is a pretty right. environmentally terrible process to do. However, in the long run should benefit us. Uh, people in Maine probably heard about recently that Maine lithium deposit of $1.5 billion that is unlikely to ever get mined because of those environmental regulations. And that's kind of yeah. emblematic of a, of a larger problem. So uh, as the energy transition continues, um, there's a, there's a reason that the supply and demand imbalances will continue. And also yeah. just as people pick up more allocation into commodities as part of their portfolio um, will benefit the, the prices as well. Yeah, and, and you kind of alluded to something along the way as well. You mentioned correlation to folks out there. Correlation essentially is how a new position will, will react to other positions you have in your portfolio, right? So if you have a, a portfolio that, um, is a lot of stock and you added bonds that traditionally that would have given you some protection. If stocks fell, you would have some couldn't, you know, shock absorbing through the bonds that you had in your portfolio. Hasn't really been the case lately, right? These things tend to move together. What we saw in the crash of, of 2020 in March, bonds and stocks fell. The Fed stepped in, gave us this really easy money uh, environment where rates were really low, which doesn't help your bonds. Um, and stocks came back, bonds really done poorly, had really given you no shock absorber unless the market really kind of tanks again. Um, adding something different into the portfolio can have profound effects on it for diversification to help lower your risk, but also give you some new avenues for, for some growth opportunities when the economic environment kind of flips, like we've seen over the, you know, throughout the pandemic. So, um, awesome, interesting stuff. Uh, before I kind of throw us into our next conversation, anything uh, else on on alternative assets? Uh, uh, on no, I think you just put it really well. I think it's the old analogy of, you know, you can reduce risk by not having all your eggs in one basket, but the, the equity basket and the fixed income basket recently have started to look very similar. So people are looking for this third basket of money um, yeah. to, to allocate to. Another yeah. area I, I didn't mention yet is, is the private equity area, which I think is really exciting too, because um, there's been a trend going on where companies are staying private for longer before they go public. Uh, you know, they allow, they can keep more control over the company that way. You know, once you go public, you're beholden to all the shareholders and stuff. So a lot of that hyper growth that happens really early on in companies is now 
being captured completely before the company even makes it to the to the public markets, which is interesting. Um, and uh, like I said before, it, individual investors, it wasn't easy for them to access those those investments for quite some time, but it's coming more accessible lately. And I think that's going to be a big boon for the private equity markets. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I, you know, we've done other podcasts on just Robinhood and just this age of allowing your average investor to have just a, a wide array of options for investments and getting into it. And they've cutting commissions on, uh, you know, ETFs and, and stock purchases and those types of things. We are living in this age. Just a reminder to anyone listening to this with all of this access, comes a responsibility to, to learn about what these options are and how it can benefit you. So um, I, I agree with Sam, these uh, having opportunities to get into private equity is fantastic. Um, just know what you're doing and do the research or, or be talking to someone who has done the research. Um, mostly why I talked to Sam. So, <laughs> um, all right, I wanna dive into something that I find uh, fascinating. And that is the emergence, and I call emergence, it's been happening, but uh, this idea that there are companies in this, in this country that are so big that entire countries' stock markets aren't worth as much as they are. Um, that is, one, mind-blowing to me, but two, must have effects on the market as a whole, on portfolios, as how we invest, and really kind of the future of the U.S. stock market. Um, want to get your impacts or your, your ideas and thoughts on what kind of impact is this having for us? Yeah, large impact. Um, it's interesting, you know, stocks used to be, be broken up into small caps, mid caps, and large caps. We had to create this whole new category of mega caps to explain this phenomenon of, of new companies that are, are so huge. You know, uh, you look at Apple, it took them 42 years to reach $1 trillion. They became the first $1 trillion company in 2018, I believe. And then they yep. hit two trillion two years later, which is just an, an unreal amount of growth. Um, and the result of that is it kind of skews the market to be a little top heavy, not a little top heavy, a lot of top heavy actually. Yeah. Um, something like the S&P 500, you know, 2016, the top 10 constituents would make up about 15, 16% of the index. Um, and now that's over 30% of the index. So you might think when you're buying the S&P 500, you're putting an equal amount of money into 500 different companies. However, really almost a third of your money is going into 10 companies. Uh, and that makes it so the, the performance of those 10 companies really you know, drags up or down the index. And you know, recently it's been definitely in the upward direction, uh, but that can move against us as we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of the story coming out of the pandemic. Um, you know, March 2020 hits, market crashes, like a month, two months later, everything looks rosy again. We're back up to our levels pre-pandemic or before the crash. Um, and everything kind of looks rosy. But when you start to peel that back, it wasn't necessarily the case. The S&P may have been hitting all these high numbers. Uh, but essentially, there was four or five companies putting the rest of the market on its back and just trudging through, right? Exactly. Um yeah, I can't remember the exact stat, but I heard recently the number of S&P 500 companies who haven't beat treasury bills and returns over the last few years, and it's a large amount. Um, and when you look at, people look at the market again as kind of a monolith when it really shouldn't be like these top, you look at the S&P valuations right now and they're looking historically really high. But if you pull out the valuations of those top 10 companies, there seems to be still a lot of good value opportunity. Um, yeah. And I think that makes a good case for active management over passive management right now to kind of make sure you're picking those companies that are not at record valuations. Yeah, I also think it, what's interesting because I have a lot of conversations with my clients uh, that are 
they like to tie the, the health of the economy to how the market's doing. Um, coming out of the pandemic, it was a lot of, well, geez, look how good things are. The stock market's kind of hitting all-time highs and doing all those things. Um, well, yeah, th there are some companies that did very well through the pandemic and continue to do well. A lot of that's tech, mostly uh, high growth companies, because it's how we had to interact with the world uh, throughout all this. So they obviously did pretty well. Um, but it doesn't tell the whole story of how the majority of the country, uh, companies in this country are doing. So I think it's important to to find the distinction that the market isn't really the barometer that tells us how the economy is doing. Um, so just to be careful that folks, it, it, sometimes five companies can can be doing all the work uh, while the rest is, is kind of lagging and, and to your point. But um, so what, is, what does this mean going forward? So when we're building out portfolios, do you, do you wanna make sure you're owning these types of companies? Do you wanna be making sure you're owning indexes that are having some exposure to these types of companies? If they can move the market, I feel like we want to be on board. But like you said, starting out this year, those companies are the ones taking the step backwards um, and, and kind of pulling everything else with it. Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, it depends what your investment goals are. If you want to beat the S&P 500, you got to own some of these companies, um, which is kind of one of the dynamics that causes people to keep buying them, pushing the prices up higher, along with a lot of other factors. Um, but I think... You know, my opinion going forward this year is that we need to be a little more selective. Just buying those 10 largest companies is, you know, more problematic as far as valuations go. Uh, and the outlook on them with interest rates going up tends to impact these large growth companies more than it does, you know, something like financials or, or energy on the value side. Yeah. And, you know, I, we've been discussing this a little bit uh, before the, the podcast, but some of this was a lot of these companies need to be borrowing money to grow at the rates that they are, right? So any type of interest rate hike tends to impact them more than, you know, a value company, a company that's kind of more stable on the books. Um, but I think you hit the, the right point there. There is no perfect answer for if you should be buying these or not. It comes down to where your risk tolerance is, what your goals are, what your portfolio is. Um, so don't get lost in that conversation of, well, you got to buy all these, these big cap companies. They can have a really good place uh, for you, but you you can live and die by them as well, right? They can they can kind of move everything for you. Absolutely. Interesting stuff. I, we're gonna move on to the financial planning piece of this, Sam. But it, was there anything else on uh, U.S. mega caps or that phenomenon you think's uh, important for folks? Uh, no, I think that all wraps it up for me. Yeah. Um, all right. So. 2022, we want to set up for financial success. A lot of this is on the financial planning side of the house. Uh, just some things I think are really important to be doing uh, to set yourself up for success this year. First thing, if you have never done this, sit down and make a budget. Um, one of the most important financial planning aspects I think uh, you can do, and one of the ones that people kind of shy away from, mostly because it's not a fun thing to do, uh, Sam loves using spreadsheets. Not everyone loves using spreadsheets. So they, they kind of get lost in this, but knowing where your money is going can have such a, a profound impact on making adjustments, right? So if you're looking at it and you're buying a, a latte every day and you're just not thinking about, well, geez, well, it's only six bucks that adds up. That can make a huge difference at the end of the day for you. So knowing where your money goes, I think is, is one of the most important things you can be doing right now. Additionally, going back and doing some of the things that maybe you didn't do at the end of the year last year. So checking your beneficiaries on any retirement accounts. Um, so this is, this is if you have an account, uh, the person listed there acts as a will substitute. Um, so if you were to, to pass away, 
that will skip probate and directly go to the person uh, listed there. So extremely important, make sure that's happening. Um, that can be on life insurance, retirement accounts, any insurance products. Um, if you have uh, banking accounts that aren't retirement, you can have what's called a transfer on death uh, account, and that will act in the same way. Uh, you can add a, a name there, skip probate, send it, send it straight to that person. So if you haven't done that, certainly something to just check back in, make sure everyone's alive uh, that you have listed there, or uh, you still want the money to go to the person listed. So I think that's important. Um, additionally, if you didn't make your contributions to your traditional or Roth IRA, you have up until the tax filing deadline to get those in uh, for 2021. So go back, see if you made your contributions. Reminder, if you're under 50, you can do $6,000. If you're over 50, you can do $7,000 uh, into those types of accounts. Just take a peek and make sure that you, have, you max it out if you want to. You have a little bit of time here before you pile your taxes where you can get those in. Uh, so I think that's important. And then just kind of setting yourself up for success moving throughout the year. And a lot of that is done through automation. Um, if you wanna have a savings goal, every paycheck have X amount coming out and going into your savings. Or if you're trying to hit that maximum contribution in your Roth IRA, automating that from your savings account or, or checking account into your investment account can make all the difference, right? The, I am a big believer that most of the success of the 401k is because folks didn't have to make the decision of putting money into it. It just came out of their paycheck and they, they, you know, the old, the old line, you don't miss what you, what you don't see. Um, and it just keeps pumping money in the 401k. And now we're getting to an age where there's more 401k millionaires than there ever has been. Um, and I, I have to think that a lot of that was automation. So uh, automate your success for yourself. Set your goals, set up that automation and, and, and let it all do, do it for you. Um, those are just some thoughts uh, for strategies going into 2022. Uh, Sam, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, thanks for all the insight on alternative assets. I'm going to do a shameless plug for Sam. Sam puts up charts on LinkedIn and Facebook on our uh, company page. Check those out. They're awesome. He, he loves to find something that's unique that's going on in the market. Last one I was just talking about was um, housing stuff, but there's you know valuations on the S&P. There's inflation. There's all these things. Make sure you check that out. Uh, I think it's great. Um, make sure you subscribe, like, and all that. But Sam, thanks for, thanks for being on. Yeah, it's fun to be here. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, man. The foregoing content reflects the opinions of Penobscot Financial Advisors and is subject to change at any time without notice. Content provided herein is for informational purposes only and should not be used or construed as investment advice or a recommendation regarding the purchase or sale of any security. There is no guarantee that the statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be correct. Thank you.